Welcome to B2B Marketers on the Mission, a podcast for B2B marketers that helps you to question the conventional, think differently, disrupt your industry, and take your marketing to new heights. Each week, we talk to B2B marketing experts who share inspirational stories, discuss their thoughts on trending topics, and provide useful marketing tips and recommendations. And now, here's your host and co-founder of I'm Like Consulting, Christian Klepp. Okay, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the B2B Marketers in the Mission podcast, where you get your weekly dose of B2B marketing insights. So this is your host, Christian Klepp, and today it is a pleasure to welcome a guest who has been on a mission for quite some time. And that mission is to help B2B companies to generate demand from their virtual, hybrid, and on-site events. So coming to us from Las Vegas, Nevada, Mr. Julio Solaris, welcome to the show. Hey, Christian, thank you so much for having me. Very excited to talk to you and a uh, big uh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. So uh, let's get this conversation started because, man, I was thinking about this just before the, uh, the interview, uh, Julius. Like if any industry has gone through a challenging time and has experienced a kind of revolution, <laughs> it is certainly yours, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, your name, I would say, you're no stranger to the events industry, and that's a massive understatement. Yeah, you've been nominated as an influential individual in the events industry by many publications. You've spoken around the world about event tech, trends and innovation. But for this conversation, let's narrow it down um, to a key pain point that uh, I think many B2B brands and marketers have, and that is generating demand with virtual hybrid and on-site events. So. What are some of the major shifts that you've seen in the full virtual and hybrid event industry in the past 18 to 20 months that you think B2B marketers should be aware of? Totally, uh, Christian, um, you got it. I mean, that's absolutely true. The amount of change the event industry has been going through over the past two years, you know, uh, first to go, last to come back. That's the way we say it, right? Because that's, uh, that's the story of the event industry, you know. Events have been associated with the spread of the virus. Uh, therefore, you know, there's been a lot of negative connotation that we had to fight against, you know, super spreader events um, and uh, all those uh, negative thoughts that, you know, with time also we've, we've uh, understood better as well, right? So there's been a lot of uh, learning curve in terms of the in-person business that, you know, was completely wiped out March 2020, as we all know, as cancellations were building up uh, of all major events. I, I remember a Mobile World Congress first, uh, then South by Southwest. By South by Southwest, we all understood this was like going to be quite epic in proportion, nothing like we've seen before. I've been going through a few crises in the event industry, being a commentator for the past 15 years. I've seen the mortgage crisis uh, you know, impacting, you know, events are the first to be cut budgets when budgets get sort of impacted and then i've seen also the zika virus as well so there's been a lot of like you know we've been going through challenges as an industry but we've never seen anything quite like what we've seen in march 2020 the industry reinvented itself to kind of embrace virtual i remember i put out a tweet i'm italian so i was watching this kind of a couple two three weeks in advance of what happened in the united states because Italy was impacted first. And I put out a tweet on February 28th saying, listen, uh, event professionals, I think we need to start looking seriously at virtual events because this is gonna become a problem 
in 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 a few months and and that was uh, what happened essentially you know we as an industry had to reskill ourselves you don't choose events because you like technology let's be clear you know you choose events because you like to stay uh, close to people have a, that human interaction like to be offline right so it's almost counterintuitive and event professionals has had to go through complete reskilling of their tool set to embrace what virtual had to bring on board. And as the uncertainty kind of kept on going, because we all thought that by summer we were going to go back to in-person, we understood that hybrid was becoming as important uh, to keep continuity, right? And also avoid the travel bans, the, the international um, lack of uh, attendees, which is a big deal for large events that rely on international travel to make a profit, right? You break even nationally, you make a profit internationally, right? So um, all of that sort of pushed the hybrid agenda with its own problems. You know, hybrid is not a straightforward proposition, especially if we're thinking about synchronous hybrids events. And this is like the first term that I want to throw to your audience, you know, hybrid events, like when we think about that, we always think about one event that is happening in person that has an online component. It's very important to define it when we talk about synchronicity, but also we've discovered that hybrid events do not necessarily have to be synchronous, right? You can have like an in-person event and then you can have a virtual event after a week, a month, and um, use content. But I, do, I don't want to get ahead of myself. And then, you know, pure in-person comeback, right? Big shift in terms of like, I don't know if you've been able to attend any uh, events in person here in the US has been easier for me. I've, be, I've been to at least three, four industry events, large, in the region of uh, 3,000 to 10,000 attendees. And I've been able to experience a completely different environment to the one I was used to, I was used to write about, I was used to comment about. So there's a lot of learnings. So major shifts that have happened in terms of how we think about events. You know, going into the pandemic, I want to refresh everybody's memory here in terms of B2B marketing. The North American Content Marketing Institute, Content Marketing Institute, said that 75% of B2B marketed surveyed voted in-person events as the most effective marketing tool. That was going into the pandemic, right? We were living a new era of events. We were like at the beginning of the experience economy happening for uh, the events industry. We were elevating events to experiences. We were living this new activation, social media rich type of environment. So in terms of the effectiveness of events, we can agree there's some effectiveness to it that a lot of B2B marketers agree on. Still tough to decide, right? What, how to measure that because events are intangible by nature, by nature, right? Can touch and it's very tough to measure that offline interaction. So major shift number one that happened to the industry it's really that a majorly intangible proposition with virtual all of a sudden becomes tangible. And uh, all of a sudden, all these event professionals that run programs in the past and that feedback by three or four people that bothered to fill out feedback form, now all of a sudden they're do doing do those events in a very data-driven environment. So everything can be tracked from activity, you know, people dropping out of sessions, which speaker is best, like which speaker got most engagement, which exhibitor booth got most traffic, why, what time, when, 
So you know everything about stuff that was very difficult to measure. I mean, you still could measure that in person, but much more expensive. Therefore, I would say I would sum it up that all of a sudden we have a tool, a new tool that it's available because virtual events have been around for 15 years, but at least, but you know, they've never been like they've been in the past 15 to 20 months. I like to say that we've had more changes in the past 20 months than in the past 20 years when it gets to event technology specifically. So therefore we have a completely new set of tools that propel especially virtual events as the tool a B2B marketers should be looking at right now. And what a great way to kick off this conversation. But um, no, absolutely. You know, um, and to answer your question, so we don't have any in-person events in Canada at the moment. And it's been more or less in place. It depends on which part of the country, but more or less that's been in place since uh, March 2020. Right. So I guess um, I, I suppose it, it's it's completely different in the United States. And I suppose it depends also on which country you're referring to. But I think you touched on something which I thought was really important. It, it's the sudden rapid acceleration within industries to maybe pivot is not the right word, but to uh, reinvent themselves as a result of a crisis. Right. So I, and, and I think you mentioned it, but, you know, things like We've had we've seen more innovation in the past uh, twenty months than we have in the past decade, <laughs> at least when it comes to uh, um, like the digital aspect of it. And digital and events um, is generally something that um, everybody's talking about right now. But if you think back to even like um, maybe not even three or five years ago, no nobody was really thinking about doing anything um, online to to that degree, right? Totally. Um, you know, at least we got a chance to reinvent ourselves. And I think where I can see the sort of lining for the industry that has been like completely wiped out. I've seen like businesses that have been around for 20, 30 years, completely gone overnight. Um, you know, it's an industry that it's very close to the hospitality business. It revolves around very fast turnaround and, uh, you know, pop-up opportunities. Therefore, you are wearing a good cash position, you were gone overnight. So very scary, but we got a chance. And that chance almost like created a new category for marketers. Uh, you know, I come from Hopin, um, that's the company I work for. And, you know, we were the result of that new category opening, right? The fastest growing SaaS company of all time, fastest growing company in Europe, you know, zero to $1 billion funding in a space of a year and a half. So it's, it's been incredible to see that growth and how fast corporate marketers specifically recognized the value of running virtual events as a further touch point in their strategy that could move things around better than uh, the social media interaction where the environment is extremely controlled by social media giants. There's so only so many things you can do, the noise, is incredibly high. So all of a sudden, you have your own little word where you can do whatever you want, you direct the message, or you can participate as a brand to support those event planners that are creating value for virtual events. So the birth of this new category is probably one of the most exciting things that I've seen um, in terms of digital marketing in the past few years. Definitely, because it's also like the, uh, you know, we're just in year two, right? And everybody's talking about the metaverse. And we see, uh, you know, this on virtual online 
virtual event revolution as the basis of uh, the metaverse. We've experienced the metaverse, all of us, from, from March 2020 for the next six, nine months where uh, reach was ridiculously high. Everybody was locked uh, down at their homes. Uh, we've seen an the first layer of what online interaction looks like, right? Massive experience that it's important, like it would, it would have taken probably 15, 20 years to realize in that capacity. So very exciting, uh, but also, you know, come, challenges come, come along. Absolutely, absolutely. And I can tell um, how excited you are with the way you're describing it. <laughs> it's like, um, so a lot of new things to, a lot of interesting and new things to come. Um, speaking of which, and you touched upon it a little bit, but uh, talk to us about like, um, some of these uh, common mistakes and misconceptions that you've seen, uh, more specifically when it comes to generating demand from events and what you think should be done uh, to address these? So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's different phases, right? There's also virtual, there's hybrid, there's in-person. So um, we can go super deep on some of these, but general misconceptions about where we are right now and what the opportunities are and uh, the common mistakes that we've seen. So to assume that the volumes, the reach, we all understand there's a benefit in running a virtual program as opposed to an in-person program in terms of cost-cutting, extended reach, right? Those are the two most recurring benefits that all our client base are hopping, but in general, all the corporate marketing world tends to rely on saying like, you know, running events can be a nightmare if you're not an expert in it. It, it takes a lot of work. It's, it's a you know, massive undertaking. People have to travel. This, things can go south every second. So therefore, all of a sudden, also the risk uh, factor, I mean, even though, trust me, things can go south in a virtual environment as well. And we've all seen um, catastrophes when it gets to virtual. Oh, yeah. I would say, oh, yeah. yeah, I would say that everybody thought, okay, March 2020 to June 2020, I would say, Everybody thought that the reach that we were getting at that time would have been the reach that uh, was going to be uh, for the future. That's obviously was, uh, that wasn't reality, right? We were all uh, working from home, all locked down, bored. Um, so therefore, I would say we had to rediscuss and redimension the, the level of reach that virtual events have, which is still way bigger than, um, I would say, in person. Still uh humongous compared comp comp compared to that but the the opportunity is there but to think that you're going to reach the same people that you're going to reach during that specific time frame it's probably the most biggest sort of the biggest misconception that i see um at every stage from different um different uh brands that look at advertising the second one i think is that this applies pre-pandemic during pandemic and post-pandemic it's really the misconception that buying space in an event for your brand, whether it's like from sponsorship of banners or a booth at a trade show, you know, equals leads, equals demand generation, equals new business, right? Um, I uh, caught up on your uh, podcast on uh, one of the latest episodes, and one of your guests was saying, why should I invest like in a B2B like a trade show to begin with? Like it makes no point compared to an, uh, an online interaction. I get it, you know, I get why uh, he was saying that, 
But at the same time, I feel there's a big space, and we'll get to talk about what the value of that in-person interaction is in this new environment we live in. But to think that you're just going to buy and you're going to get in an event environment, whether virtual or in-person, you're far away from reality. Uh, you're detached from reality. You will soon discover that you're going to waste a lot of money if you think that way. You've got to think strategically. Um, events uh, are a tool in your B2B marketing toolkit, and you've got to be uh, able to strategize and, and see and like deliver um, what we call... Um, activations in our world that deliver based on value to attendees. So to give an example of those, uh, one, I was attending an event last week and uh, one of the um, industry sponsors, they sponsored a session with uh, Orange Theory uh, founder that actually came on, um, on the hotel where we were all aware to do massive hit uh, HIIT session for all of us uh, there. Uh, which was incredible. I really bonded with the people. Actually, I was genuinely prone to listen more from that activation. I was like feeling that my human side was taken care of. But that's not the only way to do it. The most simple way to do it, something that I um, talk about uh, with my team all the time, when we as Hopin evaluate where to go and advertise at these events, where to go and have a position, there's no activation without content. So if you bypass content, trust me, it's going to be the same game of assaulting people that are passing by your booth, trying to grab them as you're playing like the Super Bowl, uh, you know, and trying to block someone that is going for the touchdown. Uh, you know, the same type of feeling that you're really um, almost forcing that interaction that even post-pandemic, where we're all tired, we're all out of burnout, you don't want to get, you don't want to get any of that, right? Unless you're motivated and you walk into a booth and you're willing to learn more. But like, how many people do that? And it's like, information is, is available. So trade shows had that sort of uh, objective back in the days where there was no inter internet. Now I can get information about everything. I don't need to go to a trade show to discover new things. So content is the way in person and virtual where you can actually create value and as companies embrace content marketing strategies you know you have people like myself right i come from a media background i've been hired to work on content for hopping like many many businesses have invested in strong content resources that are thought leaders and deliver value so content is like the number one tactic i can give to your audience to think about yeah, no, those were those were some really excellent points. And I think, um, you know, back to your point number three, maybe it was a combination of uh, what's been going on in the past two years or just the industry trends in general. But I think um, digitization and what you mentioned with content marketing, it's forced industry, um, event industry professionals to rethink their approach. Right. You know, we've all been to those trade shows where like like what exactly like what you said, where people are just handing out flyers. Right. But now it's forced them to become more intentional with their approach. Right. Because this this old tactic that people were using before all of this happened, it's a it was it wasn't really relevant to begin with. But not, now it's definitely not relevant anymore. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. there's there's a lot of talk uh, from the event industry, people from the in-person People are saying there's nothing like face-to-face. -face. Everybody keeps on saying that. 
That's true. I think there's there's a lot of uh, um, there, there's a lot that face to face achieves that virtual and online in general doesn't. Um, and uh, but to say that face to face was perfect going into the pandemic, that's a big statement. I don't think I don't think it was perfect at all. I think it had a lot of problems. I think we all sat in a conference like looking at a pitch from a sponsor's like ten point um, ten point bullet uh, bullets right that nobody could read. You know, we've all experienced like bad coffee. You know, boring sort of like we've all seen it. So some events were doing extremely well, right? But not all events were doing extremely well. And if you were doing it not well in person, you probably weren't doing it well virtually. So all these anger towards virtual that a lot of people have, listen, it's a bad, a bad event is a bad event, whether it's virtual or in person. The medium sometimes can make it easier to make it worse, but it's not an excuse for bad design. Bad design is the problem here, right? 100%, 100%. And I remember having a similar conversation with another guest, and it was specifically on the technology that marketers use. And sometimes the technology gets blamed uh, for the uh, for the uh, you know less than satisfactory results. But the truth is, and you you mentioned it just now, if the strategy is not in place, if the approach is not correct, and if the content is bad, no amount of technology is going to fix that. And it's the same thing for events. Absolutely. And you're spot on. That's what we've seen again and again and again. You know, technology gives you um, a great um, tool set to create some uh, amazing experiences. But you don't think with the attendee in mind, then you're going to have problems. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second. But first, is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.einblick.co for more information. And I know that you've probably been going through many challenges, but talk to us about one challenge that you and your team have managed to solve in the past 12 months. So obviously, you know, we've been in the storm <laughs> navigating with Hopin through incredible amount of change over the past two years. I don't think a lot of companies can scale from two to three uh, employees to almost a thousand these days. So in a space of uh, two years, so you can imagine the pace of the scale. So a lot of change challenges, but. I would say that looking back at what made Hopin like such a viral product that everybody wanted to use, in, uh, especially in the marketing world, is, is really uh, one of the issues that we all felt at the beginning of this uh, experience attending virtual events was the problem of uh, those encounters that we always go back to when we think about in-person events. Everybody was saying on social media, oh, I miss that serendipity about being in person an event those occasional conversations that were happening on the side during a coffee break or during a party so that concept i've done i actually did um some research on it um it's called the liminality and it's if you think about attending an event um and you think about 
uh, having an agenda. Uh, you know where you are on your session. Once the session is over, you take a hallway, you're walking, you take a coffee break to your next session. So that space in between the two sessions, it's very uh, risk prone for all of us that like to feel safe in a sense, right? I'm exaggerating here the, the feeling. But that openness to risk, it's like where we're most vulnerable and almost like where we engage more because that, that's where the serendipity starts and it's, it's born. And that concept of liminality, that unexpected meeting, it's to a sense I feel what uh, the challenge that Hopin was able to solve uh, better than other platforms. And one feature specifically that we have, uh, which is a roulette uh, type of networking module where you could just click and get randomly assigned to another attendee and meet with them, which can feel awkward to some people. And, you know, you can pre-create meetings with, you know, groups of people if you want to avoid that. But for some others, that was the unexpected moment. That was yeah. like the person that uh, you didn't expect to meet and was like making the event a little bit more engaging. And uh, you were like there a little bit more than just, uh, you know, listening to someone speaking on video, which is an activity you can do on YouTube, uh, right? You don't, need a, you don't need necessarily an event to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was just going to say, uh, you made it sound a little bit like uh, it's uh, speed dating, right? Like where they try to match you with a certain vendor or, yeah, right? Essentially, <laughs> it, is, it is like that. You can make it as that. Mm. You can reduce the risk by assigning different groups if you want to. But like you can keep it as open as you want and like literally have speed dating type of capability. Speed networking has been a practice in in-person events for a while. So why not assigning it? I don't know if you know the story of Opin, right? Our founder, Johnny Bufferhat, he was stuck in bed with an autoimmune disease for two years before the pandemic. So that's when he built the product because he wanted to attend these events and wanted to have the same opportunities that in-person events have, but he couldn't. So obviously, we all experienced that during the pandemic. And that's why I feel some of the product functionalities were so spot on because they were thought with a, with a you know, sort of a lockdown uh, in mind to a certain extent. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. That's an incredible story. Yeah, very, very relevant, very pertinent, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, based on your experience, like. Talk to us about how you think B2B brands uh, should think about events as a channel to generate demand. Absolutely. So um, I think that um, right now, um, the tool set available to B2B marketers, uh, it's been there for a while, right? Um, we all know the tools. You have, you have uh, you know, the content marketing initiatives, you have the, the blogs, the podcasts, the video, the social media engagement. You have the email marketing. It's been pretty much the same tool set for a while now. Yes, tools get better. You have a little bit more context. Uh, enter the new category. I believe this is like the big breakthrough. New category that puts yourself, if you were doing in-person events to generate um, demand, um, you were left with all these online tools, including social media, um, and then in-person events. There was like no middle ground between what you were doing online, and I'm gonna take social as an example here, and then use social maybe with a combination of email marketing to then engage in person somehow, 
or if you were doing advertising with sanity uh, you were doing like uh, activations at some uh, some other events and participating in trade shows just send a few emails to your existing customers and then just be there uh, try to advertise it on social media and hope for the best when you show up at the trade show right all of a sudden we have this middle layer which is very important for um uh, middle of the funnel um, type of uh, engagement, right? Because it really creates a more personal way of interacting. More, that's why like our model for hopping is feel closer. Because like really virtual events help in creating a, a, a bridge between this noise that it's happening on all existing channels and in person. In person is the closest, I believe. It's the is the when you experience and co-create brands together with someone in person you can change the message when you're pitching in person you can elaborate the message based on the response you're getting from facial expressions from who's in front of you so there's nothing more personal than in person but you need something in between and virtual is the perfect mid, uh, middle of the funnel type of tool to create a little bit more intimacy to create a little bit more connection with your message and with your brand and to start being like extremely strategic and tactical about the things that you're doing whether you're you're buying space in an existing event online or you're creating your own activation and we had webinars before right so we understand the role of webinars in creating that sort of thought leadership content opportunity but we're talking about elevating the webinar experience and getting people to connect as well on a platform um, and interact with each other. So all of a sudden entered the era of community, right? Which is the big word that everybody's navigating around these days. I think that event-driven communities are gonna be the next iteration of B2B marketing, where value is constantly created by you as a brand by organizing touch points through the year that culminate in an in-person experience. So you can think of year-long activations that are virtual, easy to do to a certain extent, still require sort of time and investment to do it properly. But then, you know, one big in-person type of opportunity. And what we've seen from all our customers that used to spend money at in-person events or participating in other virtual events, they're running their own virtual event program because they see the value of that. They see how people tend to go back to that um, type of experience and networks are created. Connection is created among the customers. Content is being created from the customers all of a sudden. And you can capitalize on that by, uh, yeah, keeping it together for the year. So incredibly personal touch point that it's better than what's available right now out there because it creates horizontal interaction um but it's event driven so it has a level of novelty the problem with a lot of groups online right now in existing platforms is that how do you create that freshness the novelty events have that built in you know it's not an event if it's not novel in some form right if it's not exciting if it doesn't have that new content that great speaker so you can create sort of attention around it and build your community through the year and culminate that in in-person events because what we discovered let me tell you a little bit of a story here when i was in 2009 started to get involved with social media 
events, um, I told people like, you know, this Twitter thing is a, is a thing, these hashtags, like we have to keep an eye on those because it's important for events. So there was a lot of pushback from the industry. They thought that social media could cannibalize in-person uh, attendance, believe it or not. So what we've seen for the years is that the constant use of social media actually creates the opposite. We, we experience the, the FOMO effect of social media. You see all these people having fun in person, you're like, oh my God, I wanna go there so bad. If you think about what's being built right now in Las Vegas, the new venues, they are stadia for gamers, right? And if, can you think about a community that meets the most online than gamers? Like, that's where they meet. They live their lives online, but they need a stadium to come and meet in person because the frustration that you build when you meet online all the time can only be released by meeting in person. That's a, a correlation that we've seen again and again and again in, in the years. So in person is never going to go away. That's actually going to be the culmination of the tension that is built through your community through the year. Wow, just give me a second to absorb all of that. But like, uh, no, fantastic, no, fantastic points. And uh, you're absolutely right in saying that in-person events won't go away. But I think um, if I understood you correctly in the past couple of minutes, they're going to come back new and improved because of virtual, because of hybrid, because of all of these, these mediums and this technology and these approaches that are now available to people. Right. And you also touched on something that I thought was um, extremely uh, pertinent uh, to the listeners, which was going to be my next question about online communities. Right. Because at least from what I've seen in uh, my own experience, uh, you know, being a uh, member of some of these B2B marketing groups, um, the most effective communities out there who also run successful events are the ones that manage their communities properly. And what do I mean by that? Um, the, uh, they don't allow people to like pitch in the community. The discussions are all around very uh, uh, relevant topics based on area of expertise because you know B2B marketing is very broad, right? So you have a group for ABM, you have a group for uh, you know SEO and so on and so forth. And then they discuss these topics that are either challenges that these marketers are thinking about, um, problems that they need to uh, you know have solved, or recent trends, like for example, if um, if there's new legislation that comes into place and uh, you know uh, that affects um, that affects online marketing and so forth, how does that impact people's work? And more often than not, what I see happening around those is that they then organize events that talk about these trending topics, and it's easier for them uh, then to pitch it to the well, not pitch it, but to announce it to the community because the community's already warmed up to it. Absolutely. You're 100% you're right. Yeah. Um, two things about community. Um, as a segue to what you said. So um, I've been lucky. I've started um, three different communities from ground up. I've been working now. Some of them, they're uh, multi-million businesses of, a, of their own that deliver um, incredible revenue. I've managed uh, a group, a massive group of 400 event planners, 400,000 event planners on LinkedIn. So I know a couple of things for the past 10 years on, on building community and community moderation. So the problem with static communities where there's just a group on LinkedIn or Facebook, let's talk, take the basic example of it. I'm not talking about those companies that invested in their own platforms and are being more sophisticated. 
But like, if you want to use a group, you're constantly left to the initiative of people to post the right content, not pitching themselves. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare of moderation. You need to have people that moderate. Only after a while, members start to self-moderate. But even there, there's a component, component of pitching. It is not an easy proposition. What I love about event-driven communities, as we've discussed, so communities where there's at least like a monthly, bi-weekly type of event-driven interaction, is that you are um, essentially getting all the efforts of the members of the community around the topic. You're getting them all together, and you're co-creating a message together where everybody feels involved even if they're not necessarily the keynote, you can start with the keynote, but you can have breakouts where people interact with each other. They go on video, start talking to each other, right? We have one of the best uh, examples that one of our clients, uh, Miro, uh, did by integrating their collaboration whiteboard into Hopin so that attendees could get together and discuss uh, issues live by collaborating on whiteboards. Um, so all of a sudden you are channeling all this energy, even the pitching comes from a, from a good place. It doesn't come from a bad place necessarily. But like if you don't channel it in the right way, if you don't give opportunities for people to come together and express themselves and what they do, and part of it could be also the promotion of their business, you don't get avenues for them to do that. Or you can set up booths to do that. You can give them sessions to do that. Um, so you're empowering them to channel all that energy so you don't have to babysit them constantly. I mean, you're still gonna be left with it. That's inevitable in every community, but you're giving a clear opportunity to do that. And you can put the cherry on top, which is the in-person meeting. And that's where the beauty of community comes. Second point, economies of scale. The problem of end marketing is you constantly have to reinvent the wheel. You constantly have to rev up um, excitement about attending an event. If anybody listening here has been in corporate marketing, they know what I'm talking about right here. They know you have to send emails again and recreate, reinvent the wheel again and have spend a million dollars in incredible keynote speakers that don't give a damn about your event. They're just there for the money. And, and all of a sudden you're left with this engine that requires a, a lot of gas all the time to go. The beauty about community is that the engine keeps on running all the time. People know what's happening within the community and they're like, when are we going to meet in person? That's a completely shift in the proposition. The marketing effort that you need to have, um, you need to put in place to get these people together is nowhere as comparable to a brand that doesn't have a community element to it. So all of a sudden, economies of scale, efficiency, running in-person uh, events, it's easier than, than it was before. So the benefit that virtual has to in-person is undeniable. That's absolutely right. And I think you brought up a topic which I think is so relevant when it comes to communities. Again, if it's managed properly, is the support that the members of the community give each other, right? Absolutely. So, great. Um, you mentioned something which I thought was a beautiful segue into the next question because, man, is this a challenge. So many marketers and organizations sometimes struggle, and you mentioned it, with the post-event follow-up. 
So what can they do to improve this without pitching or sounding intrusive, you know, when it comes to getting back to those, uh, those guests, let's call them, right? So uh, there's two facets to this. Um, there's, so when you say, for example, participate in a B2B trade show, I've been uh, battling uh, a war against um, planners that leave the ground open to sharing the leads with everybody and do whatever you want because you paid us to be there and now take it away. I feel that that's the most dangerous practice that an event professional can do today. Giving like, you know, no rules of engagement to uh, the trade show um, exhibitors, it's, it's like you're really giving a disservice to your audience. I mean, I was in an event recently where I was ambushed. I was ambushed. I was ambushed. And I'm not even talking about the follow-up here. Before a keynote, I had to witness 25 minutes, 25 minutes of advertising on stage from partners that were paying for that keynote. And it's like, nobody told me about that. You know, I'm out of my room, uh, you know, in calls all day. You're putting me in a dark room. You know, okay, I'm going to listen to someone for like 45 minutes, which is already a stretch. But then, like, you're adding that up with 25 minutes of advertising. That's the worst you can do. And people, I'm becoming extremely sensible. I was, like, going to my 16,000, 15,000 followers on Twitter and, like, bash them, like, as much as I could because I paid, like, thousands of dollars to be there. So, you know, why are you doing that to me? So that's a different proposition, but it's the same as happening when event professionals don't put boundaries and say, sponsors listen you can do this you can do that so stay away from those events that sort of share the leads with everybody and like open field open battle and all of a sudden everybody's like reporting as phishing reporting as spam in the follow-ups because those events that don't have clear practices in terms of what you get what you should do that's big red flag right there to move away from those immediately Second, there's the trade show component. So uh, we understand that making business online, marketing online these days, especially for those that embrace content marketing, is not about the, the closing the hard sale immediately, right? You know, we all understand there's a qualification process, you know, from marketing, MQLs, SQLs, I don't know the, the level of depth that your audience has, but it's like we're talking basics here of the funnel, and most companies today have a lead scoring system. So you can't expect that the in-person interaction is 100% qualified leads immediately, right? So it has a lot of value in terms of the qualification process, right? So say you assign to a like on Twitter 10 as a vote and you need to get to 100. I would say the meeting in person having a positive response, it's a solid 60 right? That was going to move you towards that level, but it's not a hundred. So a lot of people feel that because we met in person, all of a sudden you're open to immediately close a deal. And that's not the case. It means that you, you really have to deploy data here and think that these people may have had the same conversation that you had with them with the, at least three or, or four other vendors. So how do you differentiate yourself in the same fashion that you would do with content online? You move them down the funnel by creating more value, by giving more value. And to me, the best follow-up you can give after a trade show, unless there's a, you know, 
a meeting that you made and they're interested in buying the product, they just want a demo and like straight go to sale, of course, you make it happen. But like if they're unsure, follow up with some level of content that creates value. Give a report, give a checklist, give something that creates, establish your um, authority and thought leadership in the content. I think that the follow-up with content is the best follow-up I would ever get. Invite them to your next event, right? Invite them to attend your next virtual event so you can nurture that relationship a little bit more. So don't expect, like, you know, this is like dating 101. I'm not an expert in it because I've been with, married for the past 20 years or so. Um, so, you know, but the basics here is that, you know, you go out on a date, you want to close, uh, it doesn't work like that, right? You need to kind of nurture the relationship both ways. Um, I don't want to make any graphic example here, but you get what I'm uh, saying. No, it's here. all good. I feel... I feel like, you know, we have to nurture the relationship in the best possible way by establishing ourselves as the thought leaders, the ones that create value, the ones that genuinely care about the business. And virtual events is a perfect opportunity for that. A white, white, um, um, white paper on a specific subject is a great follow-up to that. Uh, a link to a blog post that delivers value that you know everybody loves, it's a great follow-up. But like, uh, listen to the podcast, whatever, you know? So you start nurturing them as you would do with other contacts generated online. This is by far the simplest way, I would say, and the most common mistake that a lot of people do. Well, that's absolutely right. And I think um, that was probably the best comparison, you know, like if you're going out on a date, because it's pretty much the same, right? And, and, and it goes for people that attend events, um, the way people are pro prospecting on platforms like LinkedIn, um, you know, like straight away after the connection request, bam pitch right and events probably is no exception hopefully it's uh, it's improved um hard for me to tell because i haven't been to an event in two years but i would imagine it's different now <laughs> i mean uh, yes and no you'll be surprised to see that a lot of people are going back to do exactly what they were doing wrong uh for in person you would assume uh, more change uh, not happening still not happening in many facets unfortunately uh but like uh you're seeing the re responses in people completely different. That's what's changing. Like, you know, customers are fed up. Like, you know, people that are working right now, you know, they're not resigning. It's already, you know, a big stretch that they're working, right? Everybody's in burnout mode. So people are reacting extremely negatively to the same old practices that put us in an uncomfortable situation. Listen, you get to meet someone, you have a nice conversation at your booth, it's better than an interaction on social media or like, or whatever. it's more personal. But to assume that that means closing, not really. So be a little bit considerate of the moment that we're all going through. Okay, fantastic. So Julius, you've given us a lot of uh, you know great advice and tips already, but give us something uh, actionable. And what I mean by that is like, what can B2B marketers do tomorrow to help generate demand with virtual hybrid and on-site events? So uh, first thing, uh, do your research. Um, uh, event technology platforms have evolved dramatically. So if you played with some virtual events back in the, in the days of the early pandemic, completely different tools. So go there, know the tools that you have available to you. 85% of our customers spend time looking through analytics and data available. Uh, the amount of data that you can get right now in virtual, it's amazing. You can like really be strategic about what you're trying to do. 
Uh, also think about value-driven type of activations. Whenever you're participating with your brand of virtual events, you're buying space, buy content as well. Do not bypass content by all means. A booth by itself, a virtual booth, nobody cares about going there unless you're giving ways to create. So think about consultations. Think about linking to your white papers within your booth. Uh, think about gating some, some stuff in there so you can be more strategic about the lead generation opportunities that there's, there's uh, right there. Run your own events. Own your event program. Think about elevating your webinar strategy into a full event strategy. Maybe start a quarterly, start, you know, every six months. Uh, then, you know, increase the cadence if you see positive response. You, you all of a sudden, you have this amazing way to get people engaged and, and be engaging with the virtual events that you do. Because don't use, don't use meeting technology to do events. Very important. The technology we always use at the office is done for small meetings, not for large events. So invest in the right technology for the, the, uh, the objective that you have. Be engaging, be strategic. Nobody wants to get bored. Think TV show when it gets to virtual events. Don't think about listening to someone. That's something that you can do on YouTube. How are you going to engage people? How are you going to get them to respond? That's another podcast episode, Christian. So I don't think we have the time for that. But if you have any questions, absolutely, Julius at hopin.com, to Julius online everywhere. Um, yeah, get in touch. I'd love to share more tips on how to make events more engaging for sure. Fantastic. Fantastic. Julius, uh, thank you so much. This has been an incredibly insightful and uh, relevant session um, to B2B marketing professionals out there. So I'm going to say uh, grazie mille. Um, yeah, uh, that's as far as my Italian is going to go. Oh my God, that's perfect <laughs> pronunciation. Congrats. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much again for your time. So stay safe, take care, and uh, talk to you soon. You too. Thank you, Christian. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. To learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.einblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player.